0: now and we we in 2007 we left sacramento where we were raising our daughter and we went to honduras where uh, we lived for eight years i was a church planner my wife who's got a, a master's in public health and as a as a registered nurse uh, she served in mercy ministry honduras was uh is the murder capital of the world more murders per capita than than any other country including afghanistan and iraq at the time uh we were there for eight years we turned the ministry over to other missionaries and and Honduran nationals and then we moved to equatorial guinea which uh raise your hand we all know where equatorial guinea is right no okay interesting um so, no, it's the least traveled to country on planet Earth. Nobody wants to go there, and the government is happy to not have you go there. Uh, the, uh, the country of Equator- Equatorial Guinea is, uh, is one of two countries, three countries on the planet where less than 50% of the people have access to potable water. Uh, it, it is a very poor country, uh, rife with, with uh, corruption and uh, HIV and uh, a president that is, um, well, let's just say, while we were there, the president uh, got re-elected. He's the longest serving uh, uh, democratically, democratically elected official in the entire world. He was re-elected with 96% of the vote which if you know, if you put Jesus Christ on the ballot, he's not gonna get 96% of the vote, right? So a lot of corruption going on there. Uh, after being in, in, in Africa and Equatorial Guinea for two years, uh, we were called uh, back to California where, where we were raised and, and asked by Mission to the World, our, our mission sending agency, if we would be willing to uh, start a brand new ministry on the West Coast. And my job for the last six years was to travel up and down the West Coast and visit all of the PCA and the Reformed churches and try to get them more involved in missions, get the families more involved in missions. And I I am now separating from Mission to the World, and I'm now going to be a full-time firearms instructor. So I don't know which is more um, uh, uh, scary, living in the uh, murder capital of the world or trying to work with firearms in the state of California. So we'll figure that out. Just continue to be praying for us if you don't mind. Uh, we're going to, uh, our, our passage today is is 2 Corinthians 1.11. says, you, uh, you also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayer of many that's the passage, but we're really going to take a survey through the the two letters to the Corinthians from Paul. So let's go ahead and pray real quick and we'll get started. So Father, thank you so much for this opportunity to to be here before these folks. Lord, I ask that you um, uh, help me to diminish so that you can be exalted. Lord, help this text to speak and not me. Uh, Lord, help me to get out of the way so your rich and perfect word can be exalted. In your name we pray, amen. So, Paul wrote two letters to the Corinthians and Corinth at the time was an industrial city, it was a military city, it was on an isthmus, did I say that right, isthmus, Uh, a thin bit of land between two uh, uh, Sees and a, a lot of people very Pauline in the ministry. A lot of people would come to Corinth uh, for military, for industry, and and the goal here with Paul with the Corinthian church was to raise up a church that could touch those individuals and and have win them over for the Lord and have them go back to their communities and bring the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. So. Corinth was and is today a, a very important city, and Paul knew that. During Paul's second missionary journey, he visited Corinth. It tells us uh, in Acts chapter one, verses eight through eleven: Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you. And no one will attack you or harm you. And I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them." His ministry in Corinth resulted in the salvation of both Jews and Gentiles, which is a good thing. It's, a, it's, it's really a dividing line in Acts, and, but it was very controversial. It was very, uh, there was a lot of problems that came along with that as to whether you had to be a Jew before you could be a Christian, were the Gentiles really Christians or did they have to become Jews first and whether was there circumcision involved? There's so many different things that this church in Corinth had to battle. So it resulted in great conflict and and great confusion in the church and there was a lot of infighting and and battling and 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 I understand that I, this morning I had the pleasure of being up in paradise. I understand that's a that's a, a a a church full of conflict and strife, but not this one, right? This is there's no sinners here. There's no battles, conflict. There's a, a, saints of saints amongst saints, right? So so let's let's not focus on the sin here because really I'm sure there's not much. Um, in reality. The church in Corinth is not much different than this church or other churches. Uh, there's, there's, there's strife and conflict going on daily in, in most local churches. This is actually the largest body of work, the two letters to the Corinthians, to any one congregation. And, and so it's used as a model for, for local churches and congregations on how to get through strife and conflict. So I don't want to say for for a second that this is a missions Two missions letters. This is, this is not what this is. As a matter of fact, this is not even really a love letter to the church in Corinth. There's a lot of rebuke going on. There's Paul is really chastising the Corinthian church. But in the midst of that, in the midst of these rebukes to the squabbling body, he doesn't hesitate to explain two things to them. They are still the sons and daughters of Christ. And number two, that they are still called to send the gospel to the globe, both in Corinth and outside of Corinth, that even that squabbling, bickering church that didn't understand how to walk in a a new faith, they were called to act as we are today despite the problems in the church at Corinth Paul refers to them as those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people 1 Corinthians 1 and uh, 1 verse 2 it would be easy to read first and second Corinthians kind of smugly and say well that's that poor little church that's not us but it is us The church in the 21st century still needs 1st and 2nd Corinthians to know how to deal with the issues that we suffer with today. In Paul's letter to the Corinthian church, he desired the believers to be enthusiastic about the expansion of the gospel. In Paul's time, Corinth was in this ideal geographic political military location as all churches are today. God has placed us perfectly where we are so that we can be senders. The two letters to Corinth, they're they're not about expansion and outreach and missions, but it is a proof that when Paul talks greatly to them about their involvement in outreach and, and, and missions, that the Lord still wants to use this sinful church. Even this unhealthy church was commanded to spread the gospel. They were commanded to spread the truth. Paul's letter to the church in Corinth provided a very clear missions parameter for both the young church of believers today and the church then. Paul called the Corinthians to train, send, and provide for the needs of missionaries. 2 Corinthians 2.14 says, but thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. The call to be a full-time servant, a preacher, pastors like you have, you're blessed to have two of, evangelists, University workers at Chico State, that the, the call to be full-time spreaders of the gospel is not to be taken lightly by the local church. Paul told the Corinthians, as Christ called them to share in his wisdom in other lands, the Holy Spirit would empower them with the strength of the message itself, which to me is just so awesome that it just the message is perfect and the messengers are sinful and, and I look at, at my experience in missions and, and, and I strove to really create like the Avengers of missions, right? The, the, the fellowship of missions, the, you know, whatever, whatever nerdy movie you want to use. I wanted to have a NASCAR driver and a Pulitzer Prize winner and a, and a neurosurgeon and, and a Heisman Trophy winner. And God said, we don't need any of those. We just need you sinners. So where does the example come from? The example that we're called to use. The members of the young church in Corinth were concerned How could they be novices fighting young in the faith and share such a significant message? Paul assured the Corinthians with the the example of himself. 1 Corinthians 4, 16 through 17 says, I urge you then be imitators of me. That's why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of, the, of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere and in every church. 1 Corinthians 11, 1 through 2 echoes, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Now I command you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions even as I delivered them to you. This is the same Paul who says, man, I got this thorn and I just can't deal with it. And I just, Lord, take it from me. We don't know what that thorn was. It was a physical ailment or a doubt or it was speech impediment or it doesn't matter. But he had something that he felt was an impediment for him to share the gospel. And yet he pleaded for the Lord to take it. And the Lord said, no, it's great. You keep that and I'll get more glory from that. And my response to that is, "What are you kidding me and, and And Paul said, "Oh, thank you, Lord, for my suffering. Thank you for my iniquities. Thank you for my me being falling short of the standard of which I have to bring you glory and that and that if if Vespers was led by neurosurgeons and and heisman trophy winners and 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 the best of the best of the best, and you guys did great things and and, 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 and and impacted the world for the gospel, people would look at the church and say, well, yeah, of course. But if you're, if you're led by sinners and, and your sinners are sitting next to you in the pews and sinners are raising your children and we all fall short... Then the world looks and says, oh my gosh, only God could have done that. And and that's that's the goal, is not that Paul is such a standard to to model after, but that Paul modeled himself after Christ and we're to then replicate that. Paul showed the Corinthians how God desired to work through their weakness for his own glory. Could God be glorified by the labors of a fractured church then and now? If God could use Paul and Apollos to work in conjunction to advance the gospel, as as it states in 1 Corinthians 3, 5 through 15, he could certainly use the Corinthian church. And what are we to teach Even if we have, even if we have impediments in front of us, even if you're not a whiz bang Bible scholar, you're not a great orator, you're you're not great with mercy ministry, you're not great with hospitality. What is it we teach? God's message. The message that follows that followers of Christ are to deliver is so simple. It's God's truth. And when we have those imperfections in us, when the world interacts with us negatively or we interact with the world negatively, but we're still sharing the message, the message is perfect. Deliverers of the true gospel will lack in nothing. I love how how um, Acts 1.8 says, you will go to Jerusalem you will go to you will go to Jerusalem Judea Samaria and to the ends of the earth and then effectively says and then you will receive the Holy Spirit and your, your message is going to be perfect once you receive the Holy Spirit your message is perfect he's still he's sending out the sinners w- with this perfect message and the message is perfect First Corinthians 1:7 says, so that you are lack, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of the Lord Jesus Christ. You're not lacking in any gift. The imperfect take the perfect message. I, I had a friend before we went on to the mission field. My wife and I were evangelism instructors at our at our local PCA church in Sacramento, and and uh, a friend of mine, a very bright female christian who was raised by a pastor father and and knew the gospel inside and out but she she understood the sovereignty of the lord but she felt that she could prevent people from walking into the gates of heaven because she was such a bad order and a bad a bad had such poor knowledge of the gospel and part of this training that that we took was was we would take people out to apartments and walmart and target and we would stand there and we would we would share the gospel with people and and how the training went is i i I, as an example as an instructor i would have two students next to me and the students would start the presentation of the gospel and then when they got stuck or they got nervous they would just the signal was to just look at me the instructor and i'm wise and compassionate and and, and know all there is to know about evangelism, tongue in cheek, and, and I would then bail them out. And that's, that's how it worked. And, and my friend, who you may not believe this after this story, is still my friend today, she, she was sharing the gospel and she stumbled and bumbled and had a, had a difficult time and got really nervous and she looked at me and I looked away. And she read between the lines and she tried to pick it back up and she did an awful job and sounded so bad and then picked it back up and and was doing well again and, and started to deliver the message and then started to fall flat on her face. And she looked at me and I looked away and she continued to give to to this day what i still believe is the worst evangel, evangelistic message i've ever heard in my entire life that resulted in a hindu coming to jesus christ in front of a walmart and and we got in the car and appropriately she started slugging me and crying why could you do that how could you do that to me i looked like such a fool I'm like were you there did you see what happened yeah, you were terrible. I've never seen anything like that. It was so embarrassing. You should make sure your kids don't hear about this. But, but now someone who didn't know the Lord knows the Lord. And, and, and you gave the perfect message. You gave exactly what needed to be heard. We're to teach God's message the message is far more important than the messenger. My, my wife and I have had many, call them opportunities, to bumble through situations on the mission field, uh, and and see yet still seeing the Lord do great things. I've been drugged from uh, my car while trying to interact with gang members, and and thrown to the ground and beaten and kicked and had a gun put to my head and I am not a brave dude and people say yeah Mike but you're you're an adrenaline junkie you shoot guns and drive motorcycles and skydive and scuba dive I'm like no I just carry my wife's bags wherever she goes she's the one that she's the rock star right and but I have I've got zero confidence and and I found myself with a gun pointed to my head standing up and saying relax it's okay I just want to talk about Jesus and and neat things happened from there. Uh, the same, some of the same gang members went to my my wife's clinic. She built a a med clinic, designed and raised the funds, and the Lord built a wonderful med clinic in the middle of the jungles of Honduras. And 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 in our and our clinic was powered by a generator, and so we had electricity and running water when the president's palace didn't and we had a, a solar dish on top and so we had internet, we had uh, 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 medical records that were internet based so our patients could be treated with consistency and, and my wife treated about 3,000 patients in a, on a typical year and uh, one day, a very typical day, there's about 30 women lined up that they, they had come between 6 and 7 a.m. and my wife opened the door at 7 and they would stood in the heat and they waited in line and 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 um late in the morning a 16-year-old gang member who we knew very well had his had his shirt tucked in his pants and had a, a handgun in the back of his pants so that everyone could see his shirt. And he walked straight through the front of to the front of the line past the nervous women who all stopped talking and and knocked on the door and told my wife, hey, I've got this problem with my shoulder. I need you to, 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 to treat to treat my shoulder. And and my wife said, sure, come on in. And she shook his hand with her right hand and reached over and grabbed the handgun out of his belt, took the magazine out, racked the round to the to the ground, locked the slide back, put it in her pouch. Pal- in her her back of her uh, uh, scrubs and said, don't you ever bring a gun into my my clinic again. Get out of here and come back tomorrow and wait like these people did and then maybe I'll see you. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. And so she got to the clinic the next day and and who was in the front of the line was the same 16 year old boy who my wife treated with love and care and, and and pray for him, and then handed him a plastic bag, where she had taken apart his handgun into many little pieces and put it in a plastic bag, and handed it back to him and she, but ma'am, i don't know how to put it to, to back together we 'll learn and get out of here and 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 these little hiccups these these bumps in the road, my wife and I were kidnapped by by the by the local police in in Africa and delivered a message that same day to to my seminary students that that night that the one of my seminary students told me he delivered the same message to his church and had what he calls the largest the largest evangelistic eruption in his community and and the Lord uses all these hiccups and these bumps and these bunch of sinners that on the outside and the inside and we we're just consistent as all we are and we and we, we we bring the perfect message the imperfect vessels bring the imperfect message the gospel message is perfect and it needs no help this is a big deal today this concept first Corinthians f- 4, 6 says, I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. In the first three chapters of the first letter to the Corinthians, Paul focused greatly on the point of the sufficiency of scripture. Scripture. We screwed that up in the 1900s. We screw it up today. The 1900s, the the missions movement that came out of England, they all believed that the the natives were too naive and they all needed to wear wool suits in 90-degree heat, learn to drink tea, speak English, and, and understand Latin. Then maybe they'd get the gospel. And today we bring colonialism and Americanism and pull ourselves up by the bootstraps and everything but the gospel. But it's the gospel that's needed. It's just the gospel that's needed. One of the best examples that I've ever seen of this was when I was a seminary instructor in Equatorial Guinea. All my students were Africans who spoke Spanish. Read between the lines, 500 years of Spanish reign, colonialism, right? 30 African students taking Christian history too, and they were so excited about it because they had been ruled, their grandparents had been ruled by Catholics, and their other side of their family had been ruled by voodoo priests, and, and so now they were evangelicals, and all they wanted to know was about Martin Luther because he hated the Catholics, didn't he? No, that's not what the story tells us. They 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 wouldn't baptize children. They wouldn't take communion because it looked too Catholic, right? That's how much they hated the Catholics. If it smelled like Catholic church, they didn't want it. And so they were excited to learn about Luther because he was the king of the anti-Catholics. And and I I, I tried to convince them no, that's not the case. He loved the church. But I, I one thing I exposed them to was the hymns written by Martin Luther, and how the people of Germany were uneducated and they definitely didn't know Latin and barely knew German in a proper grammatic sense. And so what Luther did was he would write hymns so that, so that the uneducated could memorize portions of scripture. And so I introduced them to a mighty fortress is our God. And, and, I, and I, I played it for them They'd never heard it. None of them had, 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 had ever heard it. I played it for them in Spanish with Spanish subtitles. And through the first stanza, a third of the students stood up during class, and they were singing along with the hymn. By the end of the second stanza, the second third were standing up and were singing along with the hymn. And by the end of the final stanza, all the entire church was standing up and singing, and half of them were weeping. And I said, this, this is it right here. A white dude from Germany who spoke German 500 years ago wrote this song that somebody translated into Spanish that a white dude from the States is giving a bunch of Africans in Spanish and now you're going to take this song back to your church and you're going to tell them how your Lord is a mighty fortress that's what it is. No culture, no country, no language. It's the message. The message is so strong. But what's our role with our missionaries? How how do they interact? How do we interact with them? You know what your missionaries are? They're liars. You know why? Because they're all suffering. You know how I know? We suffered too. My wife and my daughter and I, we, just, we, we figured everything was good as, as long as it was just one of the three of us was on the internet trying to book flights home that week. If it was all three of us, we were in trouble. But if one of us could hold out, we could stay and do ministry. Missions is hard because your sin goes with you and your support group stays home. And and all those things that you do at home that we can sweep under the rug and, and gossip about our, our neighbors and, and and just ignore that fight that we just had with someone and move on to more friends, that's all gone and all your sin is there right in front of you. And usually you give grace upon grace upon grace upon the nationals who you've been sent to work with, but you don't give an ounce of grace to your family or your teammates or the people you labor next to. And so missionaries fight and they suffer and their prayer their prayer time is, is, is terrible and their marriage is terrible and their kids want to go home and, and they don't know if they believe the gospel anymore. But if they come here and stand here and they tell you that, then they're afraid that you're going to say, oh, maybe we can find better missionaries that aren't so sinful and we'll support and pray for them. And so your missionaries don't tell you that they're suffering, but they're all suffering 1 Corinthians in 9, 8 through 14 tells us that just as a laboring ox should be fed and temple servants should be cared for from the temple, so too our missionaries should be aided by our brothers in faith. Do you remember when you, as your church, you partnered with missionaries? What did you think that meant? We'll pray for you. Thanks. So long best of luck. And then they come back every couple years and they dress weird and they talk weird and you pray for them again and maybe write a check once in a while. It's it's as if, can you imagine if we treated our military men and women the way we treat our missionaries? So we train them and we send them and they go away and, and we don't ever acknowledge them again and when they come back broken, we disregard them. And that's what we do with our missionaries is we, we don't truly support them and care for them as much as we should but that's what you're doing you're partnering with missionaries they're the ones that that get to get their little blue passport stamped and and but you are called to serve the same god in the same way but to stay home and to work and to and to send money and to pray and to support and, and is it, does this mean, does this mean you, you all have to sell your house and send more money? I, I don't know. Talk to God. I don't know what he wants of you. That's not what I'm saying, though. Does this mean if you really want to love Lord, the Lord, you'll go to Equatorial Guinea? Nope, not my first choice for you. <laughs> okay. um, but what it, what it does mean is, is that we need to treat this partnership like what it is. And it's a partnership where we have been called to support the people that we have sent, our church has sent. We support our missionaries sacrificially. The second letter of the Corinthians is is insistent on sacrificial giving to support others in need and others who are busy in full-time service of of the Lord. 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 15 says, To the great glory of God, Paul also praise the generous giving of the Macedonian brothers, but not just financially. It's not. It's not just money. That's, I don't want. Don't hear that. It's prayer. It's support. It's love. First 1 Corinthians 1, one one. Corinthians one eleven. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessings granted us through the prayers of of many. The most touched my family has ever been was receiving an unexpected email or package or letter from your kids. Thanks Mike and Aaron and Maddie for serving in our name and we would take those okay ugly little drawings and place them all over our house. Facebook came out right as we were leaving and we thought, oh my gosh. You remember the old concept of missionaries used to go off and they would take their casket with them and then they'd never hear hear from them again. and and, that, and we're like, oh my gosh, Facebook came out. We get to, to keep, keep in touch with our friends and family. How awesome is that? We left in 2007, right? That's the worst thing that ever happened to missionaries because while we were suffering, suffering and struggling, we saw first case incidences that you had the audacity to go on with your life without us. We are to rejoice in our current and future missionaries, rejoice in the coming of future servants. 1 Corinthians 16, 17 through 18 says, I rejoice in the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Archaicus because they are made up, they have made up for your absence. For they refreshed my spirit as well as yours. And this is the next, this is not a paraphrase, Give recognition to such people. That's weird to me as a missionary. I don't want recognition. I want to serve the Lord. But give recognition to those people. But that's echoed again by Paul in 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 through 13 and Philippians 2 to 29. Indeed, the full-time servants of the gospel are worthy of our gratitude. Why? Because they're great? No, because God is great. The message that they bring is about the grace and the mercy and the justice that can only come from Jesus Christ. Because if they are using his message and pointing to him, these sinful vessels that you have sent out, what could be more glorious that that the gospel is being spread by you here in Chico and Paradise and Butte County and at at the university and the grocery store line? At the family picnic, at work, at school, and sent, and and it's being multiplied by the people that you've partnered with around the globe. This perfect message of Jesus Christ, that that provided His Son to cover our sins and our lack of gratitude and lack of deserving a thing. That that perfect message was 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 brought by Christ to us, and that we. Repeat that out to the world. We're given this plain instruction. Let me wrap up with this. We're given this plain instruction to send, to train, and to provide for your pastors, your evangelists, your inner varsity workers, your missionaries. We send them. We partner with them. So send them, train them, provide for them, love them. The needs of your missionaries and preachers and, the, and others serving full-time in the Lord are great, whether they tell you it or not. When William Carey, the famed 19th century missionary, volunteered to serve in India, he implored those who sent, sent him, I'll go. But remember, you must hold the rope. Are you holding the rope that you promised you would hold with your missionaries? Are you partnering alongside of them? Are you praying for them and giving sacrificially? Are you sacrificing the same way they they have promised to sacrifice? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the two letters to the Corinthians. Lord, we look here not as some wicked, aggressive guilt trip, Lord, but as as an example that we see in Corinth that this suffering, struggling church is still called to replicate scripture. If they can do it, we can do it. They send and they support. And Lord, help us to send and support. Lord, give us, give us the intestinal fortitude and the bravery to agree to do what you've commanded of us, Lord, give us the wisdom and give us the desire to continue to serve you. In your name, we pray. Amen. Thank you, Let's stand. We'll sing one more.